One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Do you remember how excited I was 36 games ago and, you know, how easily you won me over by saying, oh, it'll be good crack, we'll do a podcast. You're <laughs> such a fucking cunt. Anyway, let's get on with it. Hi guys, Jack Greenish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. That morning sky gave me a look So I left while you were sleeping That's all it took Hey, hey everyone, let's keep it positive, sure, we're well used to this now by this stage. I was going to come in and just start whinging and complaining, but I thought, ha, ah, what's the point? This is just shite every single night, so we might as well just just sit back and enjoy it. Do you know in the last 18 games, Liam, we've lost nine, we've drawn five, and we've won four fucking matches in the last 18 that's 17 points in the last 18 games. That is absolutely incredible. And that is Aston Villa. <laughs> do, do you want to know how bad this season has been? We, When we're going to record the, these episodes, I have to just give them a little name title. And sometimes, like today, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling the effort of writing in Crystal Palace 3, Aston Villa 2. So I wrote in shite. And I got a prompt. You already have an episode with that name. Please choose a different name. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, I've had this exact same feeling. I just called an episode shite, and we couldn't do that for today. Um, yeah, welcome. This is this is this is life as an Aston Villa fan. Now we all might as well get used to it. And that's you not starting with a whinge. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a capitulation, and that is the most deserved loss I think I've ever seen. I feel like we're so bad. No care in possession, no game management, and like delicate little flowers that completely wilted when Palace turned up the heat. It was yeah. unbelievable. It was pathetic. It was hard to stomach and a tough hour coming up. Do, do you remember when Villa had to all they had to do to win a game was score first? What a <laughs> fucking turnaround! Yeah, and like remember the confidence that you felt at that stage when they did start scoring first because. Because they look so solid. They look like they knew what they were doing. They didn't look like delicate little flowers. And I want to get to that. I want to, I want to thrash that out a bit more in WhatsApp. When just, just, just uh, we've talked about it before. The mentality, the the yellow streak running through these boys. like that. 
and I've got a few thoughts on that that we'll get to, but basically it boils down to the fact that we shouldn't have brought Jack Grealish on, really, should we? We're <laughs> <laughs> 2-1 up, Jack Grealish comes on, bang, 3-2. Uh, but the goals were coming, the like, Palace were all over, but like, there was a stat that flashed up at one stage that said 2% in yeah. Palace's third. I've never seen that before. I mean, it, it always... It always brings a smile to your face or, you know, it, it really grabs your attention whenever one of those digits is, is a single single digit figure. It's yeah. unbelievable. 2% in Palace's third in the last 10 minutes. That's yeah. disgraceful. It's embarrassing. Completely retreated into themselves, like physically and mentally and emotionally. Yet again, like we're, we're not again, like I say, we're, like we're used to this. Um, let's, let's go through the goals or what else can we do? The first time... John McGinn does an absolutely fucking leather the ball as hard as he absolutely can. And he scores a delicious goal. A delicious goal. Lovely finish. It's right across the turf. He's still got power into it off the post. And what I liked about it most was that he was running away looking at it because he knew he knew it was going in. Nice finish. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it is delicious. You're right. And it's a, it's a great finish. And it was one of a number of things that John McGinn did in this match. <laughs> <laughs> We'll probably get to those later. Uh, one one. I've I'm going to bring forward. Uh, well, I'm going to bring forward two nominations for the Peter Inkelman What the fuck award for this goal. This has been Techie's goal. The first nomination is Courtney House trying to clear the ball. He's facing out. He's in his own six yard box. The ball is just popped up for him to volley it down the field, and he slices it into his own corner where Andros Townsend is standing there waiting to collect the ball. Ball gets shifted across to the other side of the pitch. Uh, Palace make their way down the left wing into the box. And then John McGinn tries to use his arse to block out Wilfred Zaha whilst everybody else is playing football. And then Palace run onto the ball and they end up getting the goal. Benteke scores. It's, it's lofted up and Benteke gets over House. I don't blame House in that situation. Like that's We know fine well that's what Benteke does when you set it up for him. But he should have cleared it properly the first time and he wouldn't have been in that position. And then McGinn might have might have been better served. I don't know. It might have been better served going towards the ball instead of just trying to arse people out of the way playing this different game that he's playing. Look, John's, John McGinn's arse has gotten Villa into so much trouble this season. It's such a bad habit. It's really destructive. It's it's ruining his relationships with his fans. Yeah. Like he, has to, he has to kick this habit. Like I know it's great fun and... Like, but it gets to the stage when you're when you're having a little sneaky arse in your own box. It's it's gone too far. <laughs> and like, sure, ha- have the odd arse at a wedding every year, but you can't just be doing it every weekend. Just lining up arse after arse all day on a Saturday afternoon. Like, he needs to stop hanging out with people like Alan midweek, fucking enablers. Like, no man, come on, keep arsing. Look how much fun it is. Have another one. <laughs> Like that Everton game was the worst thing that could possibly have happened to John McGinn. You're in your own box. Go to the fucking football. It was it was bizarre. It was bizarre. I I think that's probably worse than the house one because house just tried to clear it and and fucked it up. But he fucked it up big time. Like he, I've never seen a ball miss hit as badly as that. Um, two one. Like the Ollie Watkins assist like that. I don't know if it's going to be remembered forever and talked about forever like it should be, but like there'll be an underground that will appreciate that forever. Like just the, he has a look, sees where Legazi is, gets the back of his head to it, flicks it back to him whilst there's three palace defenders coming around him, and there it is, just onto Legazi's right foot. And sure we know what happens when that when that happens. Yeah, and McGinn 
McGinn does really well down the wing. I mean, when he knocked it past Mitchell, he had him exactly where he wanted him. McGinn is between ball and man, and he could have just started shaking it out, backing it up. But he, he kept on some of his feet this time. He kept it PG. And it's a <laughs> lovely controlled finish from El Golzi. But what more can we say about Ollie Watkins? That pass is just out of this world. It's it's ridiculous. It's so clever, so clinical, and so easy for a man of his class. And then did you see the header that he he just teed up for for El Ghazi again, like yeah. moments later? Ballooned ball down pitch, just dropping onto his head like like concrete dropping off the Empire State Building. And and he again he just he's got a cushioned head, we talk about this, and he jumps into the air, so it's like you're thinking, how could he possibly get so much control? Like his first touch of his head is, is off the charts and he jumps up to meet the ball and props it up on a cushion for El Ghazi who decides to shoot from 40 yards but you know it's just like the skill he has with that noggin is is frightening like I, I don't know if there's anybody better and like it was night and day seeing him back wasn't it like just there was one stage where Matt Target was sprinting to the sideline to keep the ball in play and just like has to lamp it down the pitch when he's getting there because he's just trying to stop it from going out and just Watkins is just taking off, peeled off the defender's shoulders into the channel, wins the ball. Like it's just he just reads every single situation, and he is there before everybody else. Like it's it's phenomenal what he brings, and I'm almost I'm almost embarrassed for Ollie Watkins on nights like that because it's one of those ones where I think Jesus, why would he hang around with these clowns for too long? Like is he's at a level above most of these boys. Oh yeah, like he's he's a level above all the forward players from the from the back four up, apart from Jack Grealish. He's he's absolutely out of this world. His movement, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. It's incredible. Not only is it so clever, you're right. He just he he creates situations just from his movement. Either that's just chasing balls down, or it's you know given given Matt Target the perfect out ball, the perfect option, and his touch whenever the ball comes to him is just. If you've got that movement and that touch combined, then defenders can't do anything about it. Because even if they do get close to you, which is very unlikely because his movement is so good, it doesn't matter because his touch is then just so good that it takes him out of the game anyway. The one tail Gazi, you're right to call it out. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. The sorry, the one that Gazi decided to spank from forty yards before his body was set and before the ball had dropped appropriately. I mean the ball is, it must have been 60 metres in the air. Yeah. Never mind controlling the ball. To not roll over in pain after that head off your head yeah. is is so admirable. It's it, He's unbelievable. So when Villa conceded the equaliser at 1-1, like they, they picked it up again. They were class to start off with. Shit, conceded the goal. Class again. Ended the half really well after scoring in the 34th minute. Started off the first two, three minutes of the second half really well. And then just... Like their season, <laughs> just just fell off that cliff that like, we've referenced far too often now. But um, the second goal, the second equalizer for Crystal Palace, I think Konza lets Saha onto his right far too easy. Boys are saying he's giving him too much space. I don't know. Like that's how you can get rinsed too easily as well by diving in. They were saying he's sprinting out. I like, I can see why he was cautious going out. Like Elmo's coming in behind him, he just needs to show him the line there, like like what Konza normally does, and it was. It wasn't like Hansa that, like Zaha didn't look particularly sharp. He didn't do anything. He didn't produce any piece of skill. He just moved on to his right, had a shot, and it deflected in. Like it, it's so annoying because I, <laughs> Villa, 
had started to get so bad that I just started to engage in a bit of Photoshop work and I put together this lovely picture of Elmo with Zaha in his pocket. Thinking, oh, this will go well after Villa won't win. Like, everybody will be um, everybody will be buzzing about this. Elmo's doing well. Zaha's anonymous. And, yeah, he just gets a goal too easily in the end. Yeah, I mean, the idea that Kanza has to get out to him quicker is bollocks. So we can just forget about that. It's, it's Wilfred Zaha. He's the only player on the pitch that you don't go out to. Kanza's body position is, is all wrong, though. You know your opposition, and it's Crystal Palace. You only have to remember two things. Benteke's good in the air, and Zaha's good on his right. I mean, if that's the shape that Kanza is deciding to take, he has to be a he has to be a yard further from his own byline. He has to make make the line irresistible to Zaha, even on his left. He has to like he has to essentially show him the show him the front post because that's not where the danger is. The danger is on Zaha's right foot, and Zaha's face or Kanza's facing that way as well. So he's got an extra yard to go. It doesn't matter if he's given Zaha that space; he'll get there on his right foot. But whenever he's that that far advanced towards his own net because Zaha's just going to cut inside every day because Kanza can't react. He has to turn his whole body around. Zaha's just shifting to the right. He's always going to win that race to the ball. Yeah. The third goal was absolute dog shit, but it's emblematic of what happens to a team who just cower in their own box and hope that somebody somewhere will save them. It doesn't happen. Like You just all start panicking and Perhaps the, the Ramsey attempt at clearance summed that up. Like, there's your number 10 in the box. Pathetic clearance. Gets it out to Eze. Like, oh my, like let's, let's do a bit on Eze. Like, this guy is overrated. Like, his pass to Zaha like, was absolutely fine. He just played the ball down the left to somebody who's completely free. And that's going down in his assist now. This is where Michael Owen's point stands when he put that tweet out about people rating assists as highly as goals. He like and he's saying like one is probably wrong with his stats. Wouldn't be like Michael Owen, but he's saying one in every ten is probably a really good assist that's created the goal. And he's talking about things like that then when somebody's just rolled it to a free player on the run, who still has to take it past somebody, give the deflection to score, as he gets an assist for it, then he completely mishits the ball for this one. Like Ramsey's just shit clearance, it's bounced out. As he completely like scuffs it, it bounces onto the ground before it gets to Mitchell, and Mitchell just shoulders it, arms it in, and that's a second assist for Ezzy. And now they're talking about him afterwards after he turns in. Honestly, a performance that had me texting somebody. I don't want to sound like Eamon Dolphy, but I was like, this guy Ezzy's a fraud. Like, what, what is all the talk about him about? Like Zaha was bad enough, and I thought this guy was even worse. But he's gone away with two assists, and that's all Sky need. Well, you definitely do sound like Eamon Dunphy because Crystal Palace absolutely dominated that game and Eze was playing centre midfield for him. I thought Eze was really, really effective. He was first to every ball. He was, Fucking arse, he was shit. He was aggressive when he got it. He was running at Villa. They were shitting themselves. He got two assists. And like, Eze is a centre midfielder and he's only 22. He's going to be a very good footballer. I would take him in a fucking second in the Aston Villa team without, without a shadow of a doubt. If he was in Villa's squad, we'd be a much, much better squad. Uh, the goal, the Mitchell goal, it's it's an absolute disaster from Villa. It's not awake. I mean, McGinn, Elmo, Martinez, they can all do better for that. I mean, he's fucking shouldered the ball in from a yard out, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Like, McGinn doesn't even get off the ground when he's trying to header it. Elmo's just watching all this develop. And Martinez, so surprising that he's not more decisive there. He should just come out and clean out Elmo and Mitchell. It's a terrible goal to lose a game with. 
And yeah, it probably just summed up that game and, and what Villa deserved as well to lose a game with that shit. And like, if it wasn't that goal, it would have been another one. It was coming. Like, and I'm just surprised it didn't come sooner. And to that end, we'll go to WhatsApp winges. Aston Villa need to urgently buy some big characters immediately. Yeah, I mean, I, I touched on this at the start of the show. It's unbelievable how much they wilted there. And maybe maybe there's something to be said about the fact that they've given up on their season. But like you said two weeks ago, a lot of these boys can't fucking afford to do that. Yeah. Like, not of not of the boys, not of the lads in the boardroom are being serious about progressing Villa because everybody, apart from Watkins and Grealish, can be replaced in this team at not too great an expense. It would be absolutely ridiculous to try to replace Grealish and Watkins because you'd have to spend hundreds of millions. Everybody else is there for the taking. And do, do you know what else I said a few weeks ago? Far be it for me to chime back to say I was right. But, like, given up on their season. How, how long ago did they give up on their season? Like, there, there's given up on your season and then there's winning four matches in the last 18. Like, that is fucking disgraceful, carry on. Like, they should all be sacked because of that. Like, they... They've lost nine of their last 18 matches. Villa have played 36 games. So did they basically, after after 18 matches, say, yeah, that's it. Done. Job done. Sorted. Like, it's 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 a scandal what's going on. Like, I, I, I don't even want to buy that because this has been going on for so long. I don't think Villa on the beach is a proper excuse. Like, like this is this is, def- this is going to be the majority of their season, probably, by the time it's finished. And... Ah, it's 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 just um, it's soul destroying, and like, yeah, like the stats are like they they're the youngest team, average age wise. So that's that sort of shows you that they need some big characters. I think very early on in the season we said, imagine dropping a Martin Larson or a Gareth Barry into this team. Now it's exactly what they need, and you know we know how they buckle when they go behind. We know how they flounder when they concede, and they just don't have anybody to to stop the rot. To, like to decide, we've only had two percent of the ball in the opposition third. Let's actually try and address that. There's nobody there taking the lead and taking command, and there hasn't been anybody there, well, especially since Grealish went. Yeah, and to think that, you know, John McGinn was was given the captain's armband today, and I've given out a few times, (laughs) a fair few times, about Jose Mourinho's man management and motivational skills, about his only approach being to publicly call his players shit. And now I'm remembering why. Because it doesn't work. I mean, I've been calling McGinn shit all year, but it's it's not having the desired effect. <laughs> it's, not, it's not cutting through. I'm not getting the response that I want. I mean, that display was so erratic. Kicking the ball out of play, scoring screamers, kicking the ball to Palace players, having key involvements for Villa and Palace goals, yeah. reading the play brilliantly to win the ball back, or pegging it up the field out of position before we got the ball back. It was all over the place, and he just allowed Palace back into the game. Actually, that brings me on to talk about Dougie very quickly. I was going to, I was going to chat about him later, but like I thought Dougie was better today, right? He was much, much better. He was relatively way better. There was a stage where I was thinking, yeah, this, this is the whole the midfielder I can get on board with. But, but once again, right, when you look at the context of the whole match and just how little control Villa had. It comes back to the centre midfielders. Like, who is grabbing the game by the scruff of the neck? Where, Where is the consistency in the play? Like, yeah, like you're right to talk about McGinn being erratic. And this is why, this is why for both of these players, they're so divisive amongst the fans. Like, did you see that? 
social media post yesterday, I think, Aston Villa just said Douglas Ruiz got called up to the Brazil squad. Now, I don't know if a lot of fans had missed that Douglas Ruiz has been starting for Brazil for a good while now, but they're mm. using this now as, like, oh, and some of our fans think, shit, he's playing with Brazil now. You know, and it's the same with McGinn. Like, you know, some people call McGinn man of the match the last day when he was shit. Or, like, and, and this happens a lot. It's because, because they're so erratic. And you can't have centre midfielders who are erratic. Like, they have to be the one true constant in your team. And especially when things are going bad, like, get them the ball and, and we'll work it from there. But too often they disappear and too often they... They're, they're trying something spectacular or they're running up the pitch off the shoulder. <laughs> you know, they just need to be there to tell everybody to calm down, get me the ball, we'll keep possession here for two minutes, we'll knock them back, and then we'll start again. Yeah. It's never like that. It's always too quick and, yeah, looking for those majors all the time. Yeah, they're just, they're pinball players. You know, they're just, they're all over the place. They're, they're sunshine players as well. That's the other thing. I mean, when Villa are playing well, whenever Palace haven't started yet, they look great. Because, and that's the, that, again, is the thing that's really frustrating because they can be great. But just touching on Doggy and Brazil, I mean, congratulations. He's playing international football. I mean, international football is, apart from the top eight teams in the world, it's championship football. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a high standard at all. I mean, all the best players come from a handful of countries. So if Brazil just don't happen to have any midfielders, which they don't, Doggy will get called in. I mean, who's next on their list? Fred? Who gives a fuck? Brazil are clearly shit. <laughs> it's the best thing that Roy Keane said when they were having that discussion about Spurs and, and Jamie Redknapp, of course, was trying to validate all the players in the Spurs team. by saying he's an international, he's an international. And Keane said, like, if you're not an international footballer these days, you are a bad player. And that, that's true. Like, you know, yeah, fair enough. It's going to be hard to make the, the as you say, France team, the England team, whatever. Like, it's, but most countries in the world, if you're not playing for them, you're doing something really wrong. Yeah, if you're playing in the Premier League, you should be playing for your fucking country. You should be at least being talked about. Or you should be like Maddie Cash and you're just unfortunate that there's six all right backs yeah. ahead of you. You know, to, to not be getting into the Brazil midfield for somebody who we were talking about being worried about Man City taking him back at the start of the year. Like he would have to be doing something really, really badly wrong. Second WhatsApp one. Villa are going to find the transition back to fans the hardest out of any team. Like, this this would have ended 6-2 if Sel- Selhurst Park was absolutely packed today. <laughs> and I actually, I had this thought at 2-1 up. Like, I was thinking, gee, like, remember the Leicester game? Like, the Leicester game was such a sliding doors moment when Tim Sherwood was in charge. Villa went 2-0 up. Screamer from Carlos Gill and Screamer from Jack Grealish. And then... Lescott, I remember Lescott made a balls up and it was 2-1 and suddenly Villa were under pressure. They were at Leicester Stadium and the fans were up for it and Villa shat themselves and Leicester scored again and Leicester scored again. It's like the fans just literally sucked the ball into the net and sucked Villa further and further back. And Leicester went on and won the league and Villa went on and got relegated. And Villa were amazing in that game. But then, because Sherwood was so stupid, like he ended up changing their formation and the team yet again. Like he did that far too often to start that season, and it, like, but that, that that always just summed up to me like the importance of a crowd sometimes. Like, but not for the home team, but for the away team and how much you can get on them. Like, imagine like you called those boys delicate little flowers. Imagine them there with 
40,000 Londoners just roaring and shouting and putting them off and, and laughing at them, ironically cheering, you know, like cheering on the other team to get them up. Like, those boys would collapse. Uh, like, 6-2 is not an exaggeration. That's what I think it would have been with fans. Yeah, I, I remember that game so well. Tim Sherwood bamboozled himself that day. It was it was unbelievable. And the King Power Stadium, that's, that, that day and that whole season, it was unbelievable the atmosphere the noise coming from it i mean you can really easily forget with a fake noise how much of a difference fans actually making a stadium that day was unbelievable you had to i had to turn down the tv it was so loud and they were like that all season so i don't think villa were the only team to be caught out by that but you're right they did they wilted under that that pressure as well and i I just always thought what would have happened to leicester if villa had just saw that out and won two nil yeah, and because Leicester were Leicester obviously nearly got relegated the year before. They weren't exactly, you know, killing teams at that stage. That was, they had a fairly erratic start to the season. I think that was the turning point. But um, yeah, and Crystal Palace as well. Yeah, they, they their stadium has always always got a great atmosphere, and Villa could easily have just yeah completely. I mean, the passes that Villa were kicking out of play tonight, the ironic cheers would have lifted the 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 roof off the stadium they would have been so loud because yeah. it happened so often I mean that John McGinn right footed volley that he tried to play out like what the fuck was that <laughs> I, he's trying to play that out to Matt Target who has about four Palace players in front of him anyway yeah. and he just drills it straight into the stand it was really impressive he got it so far <laughs> and it's just like like they're they're that deep and that cowardly I will say when there's no fans and they can hear they can hear Dean Smith like we can all hear Dean Smith sitting at home like his, his voice is booming across the pitch all the time he's roaring and shouting at them to get up the pitch he's giving them instructions they're not going to fucking hear him as easily next season I, I am worried like unless like this sort of ties back into the first the first whinge is like unless they add in some big characters there not just from a a mental standpoint like a leadership standpoint but somebody with a bit of balls to take the ball and get them up the pitch again or take control of the game, take the sting out of it. Like they're they're going to really suffer under that pressure with fans. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. And yeah, Dean Smith can't just hold up a whiteboard all season next year saying <laughs> toughen up. They do they do need help in there. They absolutely they need midfielders and they need somebody they just need a bit of calmness on the ball. And Dougie and McGinn aren't your men for that. Yeah. They're great. If you have somebody who is calm on the pole, then they're absolutely perfect to play with that person because they will keep moving to take the ball off that person. And that's yeah. what you need. But they're just, oh, they're all over the place. Last one. How the fuck does he win every fucking header? <laughs> yeah, look. How much more can we say about old 50p head? It's- it's an absolute lottery when you pick him out in the box. Or, or whenever he wins it in his own box. Courtney Howes, for anybody who's lost on this. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think anybody would have been lost on that. I mean, like unless that guy's six inches out, which he was in the reverse fixture, he's going to miss. And even then, the ball only went about six inches over the line. Yeah, like, It's just, the, yeah, what do, you, what do you want to happen here? Because, you know, put your money on anything, because anything can happen. It's incredible, like um, some nice corners that were going in, and he was just getting getting on the end of them again. And, and I actually thought after the first miss, I thought, oh, good, I, I, Jesus, it's just like absence make the heart grow fonder. I thought, oh, right, 
house is here. At least somebody's here to win headers. And then it was like, oh, yeah, I remember he wins the headers and clears it for the other team. <laughs> That's the problem with him. But um, we'll talk about him in, in the Ronnie Rossenthal Award. See you there. got incredible horses. The face on some of those lads, like McNeil, Wood. Like, Wood looks like a big, <laughs> a big GA midfielder, doesn't he? Again, we'll use his arse in every scenario. He actually played a blind arse early on in the first half. Does anyone sweat more than Ross Barkley? <laughs> it actually looked like he was going for showers regularly during the game. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? John Walters' arch has never let me down, though. John McGinn's has let me down several occasions this season. <laughs> Rest. Like absolutely soak him. El Ghazi is too prone to bad runs of form. He had a bit of crack in December and he was due a bad run. He's too patchy, he's too streaky. And that performance was the equivalent of a streak of shit in the toilets of a fucking bus station. Into somebody else's bosom. Bosom of possession, I mean. You know, like a bosom of possession, I mean. Some award categories on another fantastic night this poor afternoon. <laughs> Actually, it's so dark sporting Aston Villa now that we always just assume they're playing at night time when it was 12 o'clock during the day. <laughs> Do you remember how excited I was 36 games ago and, you know, how easily you won me over by saying, no, it'll be good crack, we'll do a podcast. You're <laughs> such a fucking cunt. Anyway, let's get on with it. And he never, never forgave him. <laughs> the Ronnie Rossenthal Award, let's fucking go, this is stacked. Um... Jacob Ramsey, Ollie Watkins, pulls it back for him. Doesn't put it away, has to put it away, has to put it away. We've been tough on Davis about stuff like this. You know, you want to be the man, you have to start delivering and didn't deliver. Yeah, I mean, this was on all day. Everyone could see it developing. It was a classic Villa move round the corner, over the top from Target to Ollie. And Ramsey's not followed, obviously, because we were playing Palace. And... The finish is so lacking in conviction. And I, I think he's done the right thing trying to place it because he's free. He's on the edge of the box with all the time in the world. But even his run lack conviction, it just lack noise. He needed to hold it for a second. And the Palace defenders are at sea. They're sprinting back. Give yourself that extra yard. You don't have to run as hard as they are. Yeah. Just wait. And you can see then the pass is more difficult for Ollie Watkins and it ends up under Ramsey's feet and the shot is just shit yeah it's tame second and third nomination Bertrand Chirori corner to house Bertrand Chirori corner to house 
Unbelievable. <laughs> first one wide. First one over, second one wide. Uh, first one front post, second one back post. <laughs> Take your pick. House will just uh, do what he does best and, and get rid of it. And Villa were so much on top as well at this stage. And I was just, you know, having glorious flashbacks of the first day we played Palace. And I wasn't that concerned about it. I was like, ah, we can afford for House to be missing. That's grand. We don't, we don't need him in this game. We're going to destroy Palace. Call that one right. <laughs> Fourth nomination. This chance wasn't really a, a Rosenthal miss, but I wanted to mention the build-up to it. Watkins, the one that he drew a decent save from Butland. It's up high. He's, he's shot in the turn. It's a great shot, like, you know, from where he is. It's vicious. Mm. Like, Butland has to react, and he does. Hits it out for a corner that, that House probably hits out for a goal kick. But um, El Ghazi is the one who starts this. He's gone down the left. Nice pass from target again. And he needs to find Ramsey. Like, Ramsey is there. Yeah. El Ghazi's looking at him. Like, it's, it's not even that, that far a pullback. It's a tiny little of an angle they put pull it back and he looks at him and he, he he's aiming for him as well and he just yeah. doesn't find him it's just it's just such a bad pass but like palace make a hames of the clearance and that gives watkins the chance but like just a bit more composure and accuracy there from el Ghazi and like ramsey misses that's all he has to do <laughs> just tee it up <laughs> yeah and el Ghazi, he absolutely drills it as well so even if it does get to Tar- or to ramsey it's he's not giving him a great opportunity to score and there's so much space he doesn't have to put that much power on the cross and el Ghazi, yeah it's on his left foot but you know you're playing on the left wing pal you know, start practicing on that left of yours because it's not good enough yeah. like, that was just completely wayward and overhit Bertie t when it comes to him he does so well. That pass that Bertrand Trory can play that no one knows it's coming. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> else on the pitch, not even the receiver, is expecting it. He just disguises it with his body so well. And he did it about three or four times in the first 15 minutes of that game. And it's nearly always first time as well. It's so, so nice. But he is so, so shit some days. Well, I'm going to get to Bertrand Trory, don't you fucking worry. <laughs> Uh, El Ghazi again, like he, you mentioned, yeah, on his left, there were a couple of really bad crosses from him that were very simple actually, and he just didn't deliver on them. But, um, this one was when he just didn't play Watkins in on the left hand side of the box, instead decides to just run into someone instead. Mm-hmm. I think it was three on two, might have been three on three, but Watkins had peeled off. It would be a very tough finish for Watkins, but give him the ball and let him have a shot of his left foot. and Instead, like he lets him run past him, lets him go on down the line, and he just cuts inside. And he doesn't try to produce any bit of trickery or feint. He just runs into someone until they take the ball off him. And I think that's his strategy. It's like he just hopes that he can get by someone by changing his direction. He's not trying to disguise anything. He just just turns and hopes that it goes by. And in that case, it didn't. He just there was a defender there, and they took it off him. Yeah, he's trying. He's the exact opposite of Bertrand Trory. It's all too obvious. It's all to just get it onto my foot so I can spank it and get it on there as quickly as possible with as little fuss as possible, even if that means someone just running out with the ball. Uh, fifth one Keenan Davis's clearance from Target's cross. Oh, I mean, Jack Grealish does everything you want there. He calms the whole situation down. It's the last minute. It's exactly when you expect everybody to panic. He calms it down. He gets target the extra yard because he draws out a defender. 
and target does exactly what Jack wants him to do then. He's bought him the yard. Now you deliver target and target delivers right to his man and his man misses the fucking ball. I mean, you, it's the last minute of the game. You can't be shouldering the ball over the bar. Nah. You're a center forward. You've been brought on exactly for this situation. This is what Dean Smith had in his mind. We're going to go two up top. We're going to get the ball wide and we're going to whip it into the big lads. And last one before I tell you which one I think should win is Kanza doing his best house impression at the end. It's it's like it's on it is unbelievable. Like I said, Davis was the last minute, then Kanza was the last second. <laughs> the, to get those two chances and to not even get close to scoring. I mean, those two headers weren't even related to scoring. You know, they weren't, weren't even a first cousin of a shot yeah. on target. It's it's scandalous. And that is why I want Davis to win this, right? Because I think he sums up the problem. There, there are a lot of nominations here in the Ronnie Rossenthal Award, but I bet everybody listening was thinking, like, fucking Villa had no chances. Like, I thought the same. Like, and they didn't. They only didn't because the players were so shit with the chances. And like, like you say, Davis made that look so far away from a chance that you might not even think about it now. But like, that's a fucking goal. A striker puts that away. He's got a header six yards out. And he, he's done his best to just put everybody off the scent to think that, that that was a big chance for Aston Villa. Nobody comes away thinking they deserved anything from it. And that makes me so angry. And I think that sums up most of these chances that it's, it's, it's just a team line with no conviction. And they didn't make any of them look like big efforts or big opportunities in the game. Yeah, he's he's free. He's on the six-yard box. And rather than score the goal, he lets the ball hit off him. I mean, that's the, that's what he did. He just got into the position and then just let Target kick the ball off him. Have a bit of fucking self-respect. <laughs> Sorry. The Peter Inkelman What the Fuck Award. So we mentioned um, mentioned McGinn's arson in his own box. He's going to do well to beat that. We mentioned House's clearance. So there are two nominations. Uh, McGinn's up and under in the center circle. He's just trying to volley it across the pitch. Like you could have picked out that one you're talking about with his right foot as well. But this one he tries to volley it across the pitch. I assume to target, and it just goes fifty feet in the air, and it goes five <laughs> feet to the left. And Palace break away. And every time something like this happens, like you just have to keep remembering this is Villa's midfield. <laughs> Not only should you expect better, you expect them to keep control and and dominate the match when they have the ball, but every time they do something like that, they leave themselves wide open, they leave House and Kanza fucking stranded at sea, and like, there it is, McGinn's just trying to play it across, and just balloons it into the air. Like, I, I was just about to make an analogy about him playing like a, an out half in rugby, but th- that is just so disrespectful to out halves. <laughs> I mean, like, all, those, two, those two moments, are just the, the, all the composure of a fucking hooker getting the ball tossed back to him in rugby, <laughs> Like, it was dreadful stuff. Just get the ball down and pass it to a Villa player. There's 10 of them on the pitch with you. Pick one of them out. Nomination for the referee. How's getting a yellow card for taking the ball off Zaha? Oh, that was so bad. I mean, Zaha was right to to try to target House and he got the better of him a few times. But for that to be a booking was was just absolutely silly. Hoist does it perfectly. He gets his body in between the two of them. He cons it. 
He cons it. He, he, he did exactly that. And then Zaha kind of stumbles into the back of him and brings the two of them down. Yeah. It's a ter- terrible decision. Terrible decision. Um, And then the last nomination for the Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. Bertrand Terori. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Oh, he's a mess. Just like this, like I, I don't know. Like he, he, you're right. First fifteen minutes, he did a couple of a couple of things, a couple of nice things, but like this, the, this burger needed cooking for a lot longer tonight. Like it was nowhere. Like, I felt like he needed two hundred and eighty minutes to get to get the grill going. Like you know, he was just. Oh, I don't know what he was doing. Everything he did was undercooked, and everything he did was unpredictable again, and. And careless. I just thought it was careless again, and just so many times, he'd be like, even the one he played back to Elmo first time, like he's just joined it. The ball comes in, and he, Elmo's in the worst position out of everybody in the Villa team because Zaha's right beside him, and Terori just thinks this will be fun to first time it back to Elmo because it's a tough pass to make. And if, you're right, it's a tough pass because he's being marked, and <laughs> it was just there was just that the whole game from Bertrand Terori. That's why there's not one specific moment just his performance is nominated for for this award yeah he, he was really was really bad and this is this is this the really really tricky thing for you know any money ball people out there because <laughs> you look over the season for wingers Trory and El Ghazi have a lot of goals and assists well El Ghazi doesn't have any assists but he's got a lot of goals but it's the other it's the other 30 games they're they're so, so bad in those games that they're doing nothing for the team. They're not creating dangerous opportunities. They're not they're not being they're not being decisive enough. And they're absolute liabilities. I mean, Bertrand Trory put through the opposition players so often that it's 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 unbelievable. And Elmo just didn't know what to do there. He just drills the ball off the guy. That's all he can do because he's being yeah. closed down. It was like even after the third replay, I couldn't figure out what he was doing. Did he see like where is Doggy going as well though? Like, why is Dougie just sprinting up? I know his winger's got the ball at his feet and he's trying to... He's not expecting him to do that. But he's just sprinting out of position. Yeah. He's sprinting out to the wing. Just let, let Elmo go there, if anything. Dougie just doesn't have to just leave a big gaping hole in the middle of the... It's not Dougie's fault. It's fucking Bertrand <laughs> Rory's the problem. But uh, it's just a mess. And even Elmo panics as well. But of course he panics. He's being closed down. But, you know, I don't think Elmo needed to just drill that. And this is the interesting one, right? Um, remember last week we were talking about or Thursday night we were talking about stats and this uh, this idea that like you know people have now that they instead of just watching a match they just they just find some numbers and they, and they tweet that out and then that's that is now the verification that everybody needs. Like this is this is now the argument that we're going to be using to put forward. Take Bertrand Terori's performance tonight, right? Now, look, again, I must put, I am not against stats. I'm against stats solely judging somebody's performance, and I'm against four stats solely judging somebody's performance, and some of these stats aren't even clear. Like we mentioned before, Ross Barkley, 100% dribbles, and it's one dribble. You know, 100% sounds fucking great, and we don't even know what the what the qualification is for a dribble. Like, what is the measurement there? Is it Does he have to dribble five meters? Does he have to take a pass somebody? Like what is a dribble? Like nobody knows that, but he just needs something to to need somewhere to plant their flag, and they, and these tweets give it to them. So I don't think there's anybody tonight 
who would disagree that Bertrand Traore was was bad. But you could come away from that game, and I, I could devise one of these tweets. Now, I'm not going to do it because there'd be too many people that latch onto it. <laughs> I, so I could put it out. I, I could put down Bertrand Traore versus Crystal Palace. Minutes played, whatever it was, 82 or whatever. Passes in opposition third. I could put it. I'm sure that sounds decent. Like, I'm sure there's a decent number there because he's found Watkins a couple of times. Dribbles past a man. I'm sure he's got a few of those as well. Um, but again, this is the thing with these tweets. Nobody knows what the relative is as well. So if I have if I have four successful dribbles in there, nobody knows if that's good or bad. Runs back to help out fullback. Seven. <laughs> <laughs> again, nobody has a fucking clue what that means. Successful corners, two, or 100% or whatever. You know, looks fucking amazing. But Bertrand Trory was not good tonight, so yet again, just be careful. I could I could take Villa's worst player today and devise one of these tweets and put together a collection of stats that might look good and do not show the proper picture. Just like you're saying there, Moneyball people need to be careful. Like, stats are obviously good and obviously important, but look at the game first. Always look at the game. Always watch the game. That's my advice. <laughs> Yeah, and now you're right. And every every statistic nowadays has an agenda, and that's what happens whenever there's so many statistics that are out there. Yeah. But people just rely on them as well. People people can't rely on their own intellect to to look at a game, so they're just looking for stats to verify to make it sound like they're more intelligent. I mean, yeah, dribbles. A dribble can just be running past a fullback who's closed off the space for you, and you're just borrowing it back to the, your own fullback after exactly. that. Yeah. And Bertrand Trory had four key passes tonight that I can remember. The, the maximum amount of key passes ordinarily in a game is about four or five. Yeah. So he's probably the top Phillip player. But he was fucking dreadful. He had about three key passes for Palace as well. There's no stat for that. <laughs> and he, like, no, in fairness, I haven't seen this stat, but I'm, I'm, I'm expecting it to come out at some stage. The way you see heat maps as well. Like people, people share on heat maps as if it means anything. Like, do you know, oh, look, he, he was on the pitch. <laughs> yes. Everybody was on the pitch. They all have a similar heat map. They were playing. They were playing football, like so. Runs back to help out a fullback. Now, in fairness, I haven't seen that one yet. But what's he doing when he gets back there? Like it might, it might look good if I say he he he's run back eleven times to help out Elmo, and it probably means they didn't run back another twenty times. But he ran back and then watched Elmo getting skinned, or watched Elmo pick up his man, or you know, or played one of those first time passes to Elmo who wasn't expecting it and wasn't in the position. Like again. We need the context for these stats. Stats are good, but they they yeah, help exactly. inform the context. And like even things like you know kilometers covered. There's obviously a base level that every professional footballer should be covering in ninety minutes. But could you could rack up a fair fucking amount of kilometers covered if you're just losing the ball in the corner flag and then having to sprint back to the other <laughs> corner flag? So like, wh- why did you cover those kilometers? That's the yeah. question. But I think John McGinn's arse wins this award. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> You like Glenn Whelan take a 90th minute penalty award. I only have one nomination. Actually playing the three strikers up top. <laughs> Did he think we were being fucking serious? Yeah, I mean, just add Dean Smith to the, to the list of people who are listening to this podcast. But, you know, Dean Smith clearly doesn't, doesn't understand our sense of humor. <laughs> that, that wasn't a suggestion, Dean. That was me taking the piss. Watkins, Davis, and Wesley up top. Yeah, get a grip, mate. 
Grealish playing awesome. Like, not only were they up top, they were all in the box, like we had said. <laughs> we were already having a bit of crackling. Like, if you are listening, don't do that again. Because, <laughs> like, you know, you, you, don't, you don't need to do that against Palace. Like, just just play Grealish on the left or play him in number 10. Play Watkins, play Davis, play, you know, play somebody up alongside Watkins if you want an extra body up there. And play through them. Don't put the three boys in the box and play Grealish at number 10 and start lumping the ball up and we've got no midfield or no wingers or nothing anymore. Like, I think that actually uh, just handed over the game to Palace in the end because it was like, what? We're, all we were relying on were those set pieces where the boys were definitely going to miss. You know, or like we had that one good move then in fairness, but that was that was all Grealish. But um, just, just create those moments over and over. We don't need the three boys standing in the box for them to help. And like I know Bertrand Trory had to come off, but I, that game was calling out for Grealish to come on at number ten. Like Palace were only playing two midfielders as well. If you if you wanted to wrestle control back into that game, you had to have Grealish on the ball. You had to you had to get him involved in the game, bringing him on and tossing him out to the left wing. Wing, left wing was fucking irrelevant. <laughs> uh, like Doggy and McGinn and Grealish could have been able to control that game, but. We just let it drift. We just wasted Jack Grealish. Yeah, it felt that way. Um, the Vyman meter, I'm going to do some people going up first. Ollie Watkins, just just amazing, like what he brings to the team. Um, the way he gets off the shoulder, the way he, like we talked about him loads. It seems like even though we seem to be covering a lot of the same ground when we talk about Watkins, there's always something new to, to point out or something added to his game. It's just like the energy... The, the intelligence, the control, the, even that one that he um that he worked with Bertrand Trorori. Like it's his run initially down the channel, wins the ball, gets it back to Trorori, who plays a nice ball through. But it's because Watkins goes again and just leaves the defender for dead, and he's he's waiting for a proper opening. Nobody's getting themselves free, so he tries to go back post. It was the right decision, but but Butland just cut it out as he tried to lift it. But I, uh, it's just dangerous. Like that's what he is. He's he's just danger. And they've got him going up alongside two ones. I don't know if you agree with him, but El Mohamedy, I think we all would have been a bit concerned tonight with him starting, uh, especially with Zaha and what Zaha can do on some days. But I thought Zaha wasn't great, and I think Elmo did really well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that you probably picked out the worst thing that Watkins did in that match <laughs> to describe <laughs> how good he was. I actually think he could have played that a lot earlier. I think Ramsey was free on the penalty spot. Um, and the the cross is dreadful. It's the right cross, but he executes it terribly. Maybe he saw that Ramsey was free on the, on the penalty and, spot. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. But, you know, that's the... I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. It's That's the constant turmoil. Is it... Do you do the wrong thing because it's going to the wrong? Because otherwise, the right thing is going to the wrong player. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a constant thing in your head. You know, is it the right pass if it's to the wrong player? But I think you should always just keep playing the right pass. Let him fuck it up for you. Uh, El Mohamedy, I thought was he had a really good start to the match as well when Villa were good. He was brilliant on the ball. His crossing was great. He was playing lovely little inside passes. Everything was disguised. And his defending was solid. He drifted out of the game, obviously, because Palace were absolutely murdering us for the last 60 minutes. But, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, Elmo can go up. He's a gent. <laughs> yeah. And the only other one I have going up is Courtney House. 
as much as a 50p head annoys me um but it's something that we like it doesn't matter nobody else is going to score fucking corners like i think he's the last person to score from a set piece for villa on boxing day um, <laughs> so why does like you know we might as well be him missing it somebody else is just going to miss anyway uh, at least he puts it dead so we can all get back and set it up like how, how, how grim is that that villa have gotten to a stage where you're hoping that corners can be put dead so we can get set back up defensively <laughs> Um, I thought he was. I thought he was decent, apart from the clearance that I mentioned. I thought the yellow card was harsh. You know, he's going to find it tough, but he's been out for a long time, and he. Um, I thought he did well overall. Yeah, and it's as much given out as we have done about the the Aston Villa squad, particularly myself, probably. Courtney House and El Mahamadi are probably the two places where you're not as concerned if there's a player player out injured because they are they are relatively good backup for those positions and house was again good tonight like he was whenever he came in as well whenever we needed him around christmas he was brilliant against chelsea yeah he's very very rarely let Villa down if at all yeah and going up it's it's all relative but douglas louise just because he had been dropping and dropping and dropping i thought he was thought he was way better tonight but it actually just made me notice the the fact that Villa are even when he's good they're still missing that player to take control in the middle. Yeah, like I'm surprised he's going up. <laughs> like he was, he was okay on the ball, and he was a lot cleaner in his tackling. I don't think he did any. I don't think he barreled into the back of anybody needlessly tonight. <laughs> but Jesus Christ, if the absence of that is enough to make him go up, I don't know what we're expecting from him. Uh, he's a fucking Brazil international mate. <laughs> uh, going down. Tyrone Mings for crying off rather than face Saha again. <laughs> oh god, I mean Tyrone Mings was an like that actually shows you how good that House and Elmo played tonight. Whenever they were faced with Zaha, they were a lot more composed than Tyrone Mings was. If anybody doesn't remember it, like Tyrone Mings was sent off because he was just shitting himself every yeah. time Zaha got the ball. He was following him all over the pitch. He was asking to be sent off all game. Yeah, he was spooked in that match. Uh, going down, Jacob Ramsey. Like, Jacob Ramsey's gone down a fair few times here, and I used to always um caveat it with, I know being harsh on him, and I know he's going to be good, but like after a while, you have to start being good, you know. And I just don't know like what he's, I don't know what he's adding extra. Like he, he does, he does the right things. I can see why a manager would like him in that he works really hard. He gets back into the right positions. <laughs> definitely more useful. Than Barkley, he's not giving the ball away as much as Barkley, but he's not adding anything either to be a creative number ten. And 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 I'm focusing on him as well because Dean Smith went out of his way after the Everton match to talk about how good Ramsey was and how good he's going to be. And and, and like you know, I've seen pieces of him now. He he's going to be Villa's attacking midfielder next year, and you know that might well be. And I'm, I'm not writing him off, but I still need to see more from him and. There was a moment there, I think it was the last draw, they brought him off then after, in the 80th minute, got the ball days of the box, and it just takes him far too long to get the ball under control. And by the time he shoots, it's, it's blocked, of course it is. Like it, it takes him about four touches to get out of his feet to have a shot with his left foot, and it's it's blocked down. Then he gets another chance straight after to whip it in. Everybody's in the box, and it, it doesn't make the first... It's one of those ones where he's deeper as well, so it's a really nice angle to whip it in around the back post, but... It, needs a lot of purchase on it and it hits the first person who's beside him it doesn't even get close to the box never mind around the back of the box and that just that just uh, frustrated me when i saw that and i thought 
ah, like yet again, just another game. I felt has passed him by. Yeah, I mean, Ramsey's best attribute at the minute is that he's not Ross Barkley. Yeah. I mean, but to be fair, Smith was right to compliment him after the Everton game because he was good after the Everton game. He was, yeah. But tonight, even when Villa were good, sorry, particularly when Villa were good, he, he wasn't. And that just made it stand out all the more. He was he was the reason a lot of moves were breaking down. He wasn't he wasn't decisive enough. He wasn't knitting the play together quickly enough. He wasn't doing any of the things that you want your number ten to be doing. And he had a he had a number of big chances that he didn't take, or he didn't even get the shot away properly. And yeah, it's, it's, he wasn't good tonight, and he was deservedly taken off, and was probably probably lucky to stay on the pitch for as long as he as long as he did. And going down, white shirts. Thankfully, that's the fucking last time Villa will wear them. But they they didn't win a game in them all season. I think they got one draw. Um, no, <laughs> in fairness, they haven't been winning many games all season since since the back of uh, Christmas. So um, maybe maybe it's unfair to pick out the white shirts. But uh, it's just been a disaster. Like they're synonymous <laughs> with the synonymous with the Burnley defeat, and they're synonymous now with this collapse as well. Like two just mental collapses more than anything and i think nowadays i I just don't want to see them again i I also just hate the like that shirt could have been really nice if they didn't have the luminous color and this faded background of nothing like some army thing in the in the back of it if that was just a cream shirt with a navy color it would be fucking gorgeous but not that it matters anymore i won't have to look at it again (laughs) you have to stop assuming i'm as mental as you are you can't just (laughs) Toss that over to me. Going down on the Andreas Weiman meter. White shirts. Well, it's a I could never hate you meter. And I fucking despise those shirts. <laughs> oh, Christ. So long as they never wear them with the blue socks, eh, Conan? <laughs> it's, it's the claret socks, not the blue ones. Oh, my mistake. <laughs> I thought we. I thought you cared about this stuff as much as I do. Uh, questions we can't answer, but probably will. How much collective crack is being smoked by the Arsenal fan base? Uh, you know, constantly linking themselves to Jack Grealish. How many more years of reality check do they really need? Get a fucking grip. Jack Grealish is not going to Arsenal Football Club. Talk about being out of your league. It's it's nearly it's nearly stepping over the line at this point. Like whatever happened to no means no. He's not interested in you. Take a fucking hint. Move on. You're pestering him now at this stage. And you know what? It's not even annoying. Like when I when I see Liverpool or United fans talk about Grealish, I do have that little bit of insecurity, thinking, oh shut up please shut up stop stop putting that on his radar stop turning his head with arsenal it's not annoying at all it's just actually really fucking sad like they're they're making up these rumors and the links themselves it's so far away from ever being real life that it's it's just grim to think that the, that there's this cohort of people there who still think yeah let's let, let, let's get this story going as if it could ever happen do you remember do you remember the extras, Ricky Gervais extras, the episode of Les Dennis, 
and he's ringing up the celebrity spotted hotline in the tabloid newspaper <laughs> to say that that he was spotted. Like he spotted Les Dennis, he's pretending he's somebody else. Spotted Les Dennis in one of these expensive stores on the high street, and the journalist replies, "I don't think he can afford much around there, can he?" <laughs> <laughs> and Les Dennis is like, well, I just fucking saw him and he's spending a shitload to put that in your paper. <laughs> like, that's Arsenal fans, like, just making up obscure nonsense that nobody will ever believe, but they're doing it to try and make themselves feel better. Imagine, imagine a day where Jack really decides he wants to leave Aston Villa, the club that he loves, but he's going to do it to go to Arsenal under Mikel Arteta. Fuck me. Yeah, I think... I think Eddie Hearn summed it up really well when, in another context, he said, yeah, well, I want an 11-inch penis, but it's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> I keep hearing them say, he's exactly what we need. Well, of course he is. You're shit, and he's class. <laughs> he's one of the best players in the world. He's exactly what everyone needs. Yeah. But do you not think because you need him, that's exactly why he wouldn't sign for you? <laughs> it's Jack Grealish. Like the Arsenal fans really think that if he's available, Man United, Man City, Liverpool, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona aren't all going to see what they can do. <laughs> Fucking Arsenal. I mean, why are they stopping at Grealish? I mean, yeah. pick a position. Zaka is the only player for whom it would be ridiculous for Arsenal to try to upgrade yeah. on. So he's the only player it would be prohibitively expensive to try to upgrade in that position. Yeah, well, I, I, think, I, I think Van Dijk is exactly what they need. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I mean, why would the best player in the league leave a rebuilding job at his boyhood club to join a rebuilding job at a club that were last competing for the title when he was a boy? (laughs) Why would he leave such a methodical rebuilding job that has shown significant improvement year on year to join the shit show at Arsenal? This is a rebuilding job that's been going on since 2006. And it's been a fucking disaster. It's seen Arsenal get worse every year. Every year since 2007. Arsenal's rebuilding job has seen them get worse and worse. I mean, Arsenal fans at this stage, they're only comparing histories. That's all it is. It's history. But we don't hear fucking Leeds United fans talking about Greedish being the perfect signing for them. (laughs) I mean, Leeds used to be good. Leeds are a mid-table team. It makes so much sense. It makes as much sense. But why are Leeds fans not linking themselves to Grealish? Because it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Honestly, it is. It's the it's the worst thing on the internet. No, like I say, it's it's just so sad to think that there there is that group. Like when, when like all those clubs you mentioned, you could add in more. You could add in PSG. You could add in like anybody. Like all the big best clubs in the world, and like. Chelsea even I don't even think he would go to Chelsea but like so far ahead like so far more attractive than Arsenal and you have them trying to sort of put themselves into that group like as if as if they're one of the one of the lads who could attract somebody as attractive as that you are not like learn to play to your strengths and like Jack Grealish is not interested anyway um, it's good to to laugh at all our clubs before we wrap up we've got two more Two more games of, of this shit to go. Got 49 points. I um, like The good news is that I, my, my prediction from far too long ago now that we wouldn't make 50 will probably come true. So, oh, hallelujah. Every fucking cloud's got a silver lining. <laughs> yeah. 
So once Spurs and Chelsea spank us, we'll have a good celebration after the, <laughs> the last game of the season. And we'll we'll seize all then. I don't even know when the next game is. Who cares at this stage? We'll all be... We all just sort of meander along automatically towards it now. We're <laughs> just like zombies at this stage, knowing what to expect and just leave you with that stat. Four wins in the last 18 matches. Up the fucking villa. See you later. That wind is calling my name And I won't wait Or I'll never get on Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.